0: You ain't heard nothing yet. Get around, let me fix What am I going to do? Frankly, my dear, I'm going to make it an offer. You talking to me? Straight out of the train. I don't know who you are. Why I'm so when simple? When I'm good, I'm very good. Simple. But when I'm bad, yes. I'm better. He's lion! Snap out of it. If they call me Mr. Boy's best Friends' You have no style. You work all day, little dog. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Hello, and welcome back to the Tinsel Factory. My name is Caitlin, and I'm your host. And also, welcome to the one year anniversary episode of the Tinsel Factory. I'm not gonna lie, I did not think I would make it this far, mostly because I thought the pandemic would be over and I'd be working like crazy, but here we are, still, still pandemic-y, so that's okay. One year, hooray. I have had a time and a half bringing this podcast to you, and watching it slowly gain traction has been so cool. As of recording this podcast episode, this whole show has been streamed in like 55 different countries across all of the streaming platforms. And in the last month, listenership has gone up like 300%. So I'm pretty stoked, you guys. This is really cool to finally see all of this hard work kind of being reflected in the numbers. When I started this podcast, I wasn't sure if this was going to be like a good idea or a good topic or theme for a podcast because there shockingly, to me at least, weren't any film history podcasts that dealt with the entire film industry. They were like the specialized ones, but there wasn't anything that kind of dealt with film history specifically. I didn't know if it was because people had tried and couldn't find an audience, so they stopped or, you know, doing an audio podcast of a visual medium was a terrible idea. But whatever the case, we were in the thick of the pandemic and I literally had nothing better to do than this. I am so relieved to see each week that not only all of you are coming back, but you've been leaving me lovely reviews and messages as well. Shout out to Laura for her very nice message on Facebook this week. Thank you for taking me on vacation with you. It was really awesome to hear. I'm also very appreciative of all the feedback you've all given me as I've worked on growing as a podcaster. Other than the basics of how like microphones work. I had no earthly idea of what I was doing. I didn't know how to use the software. I just kind of logistically knew how it would work because I went to film school. So thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking around as I've been growing as a podcaster, even though I'm not a super famous person talking about a show I was in 10 years ago or doing a true crime podcast. And thank you in advance for the future support. If you want to get me a present, please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. I'd super appreciate it. On to the meat of the episode. For two-sentence movie reviews of movies I saw in a movie theater, we've got Free Guy. Or free guy? How do you? How is it supposed to be said? It's very ambiguous. No, I'm admittedly not the biggest video game encyclopedia, but I have been an admirer of them from afar for most of my life. We weren't really allowed to play them growing up, so I kind of have like a deficit that I've been trying to sort of amend over the years. Basically, it just ends in me getting completely wrecked by my friends. I Mario Kart is my ugh. But this movie is, at least to me, a pretty cool love letter to anyone who's ever felt like a side character within their own life. Free Guy is very well done and doesn't fall into any of the gamer tropes in a way that similar movies have in the past. The movie's a little bit longer than it really needed to be, but overall still a pretty good movie. I liked it. It's a very basic story, but it's good. You'll have a good time. Go see it. For the rest of the episode, we are continuing our journey into Asian cinema with a look into Bollywood, the largest producing film market in the world. India is an incredibly diverse country and has a giant film industry to match that. So for the sake of not driving you all completely mad by bouncing around, we're just going to cover Bollywood, which is the more commercial side of things. When you probably think of Bollywood, even if you've never seen a Bollywood film, you're probably imagining bright costumes, elaborate music and dance numbers, and most importantly, a happy ending for two young lovers. But Bollywood has an amazingly rich story and isn't just musicals, which was news to me. It's the majority, mind you, but it's not the entirety. Bollywood is actually just the name for the center of Hindi cinema, like Hollywood is in the West. So with that, let's take our places. It's showtime. If you listened last week, you may remember that Japanese cinema began partially due to a visit from the Lumiere brothers, those French guys that invented the cinematograph. Indian cinema began for a similar reason with a cinematograph screening in Bombay, which is modern day Mumbai, in the late 1890s. India would start their film industry a little later than Japan did, while still under British colonial rule, with their first. Ish produced film Shri Pundalik, releasing in May of 1912. I say first-ish because many argue this wasn't the first Indian film. It was the first film shot in India. The reason people don't count this film as the first Indian film. One, because it was a recording of a play, so that's a gray area. Two, because the cameraman was British. And three, because the film was processed in London. If Pundalik wasn't the first Indian film on those technicalities, then that means that it's the silent film Raja Harishandra from 1913, which is the first feature film made in India. It was based on the life of Jesus and was directed by Daba Sahib Falk, who is considered the father of Indian cinema. On Easter 1911, photographer Daba Sahib Falk had seen Alice Gee, the first female director's film, The Life of Christ. After the screening, Falk decided that he wanted to see Indian stories on Indian screens and depictions of his gods and his people's traditions represented. Falk's photography business had had rocky beginnings due to a rumor going around that his camera sucked out parts of your soul and nobody wanted a picture of themselves in exchange for a shortened lifespan. Eventually, however, this irrational fear passed, and Falk was a pretty successful photographer by the mid-1910s, and now he decided to foray into film. Falk began acquiring filmmaking equipment, as well as books and catalogs from Europe on the subject. To study, every night he would watch four to five hours of cinema, a habit that would cause cataracts to eventually form in both of his eyes, blinding him. A London optometrist managed to fit him with glasses that restored his sight so he could get back to work. This work eventually led to him making the first feature-length Indian film, Raja Harishandra, securing Falk as a father of Indian cinema. It is from the release date of this film that many film historians count as the first day of the Indian film industry. The early 1920s saw the foundation of several film production companies in India, and most films made at this time were either mythological or historical in genre. Imports from Hollywood, primarily action films, were also well-received by Indian audiences, and producers quickly began imitating those films. However, like most cinema markets, film versions of Indian literature, such as the Ramayana and the Mahabharata, also dominated the market throughout the decade. I'm doing my best on these pronunciations, y'all. I looked them up, I swear. By the 1930s, India was putting out 200 films per year. Sound films began to churn out in 1931, starting with Alam Ara, which did very well in India. With a great demand for talkies and musicals, Bollywood and the other regional film industries quickly switched to sound films. While there was some splintering before this, the Indian film market had actually been pretty universal, as with silent films, there was no language barrier because the films had no sound. But when sound entered the pictures, coupled with the fact that India has 22 official languages, the industry splintered to produce films in multiple languages. Today, the Indian film industry makes films in 16 to 20 different languages and dialects, depending on the source. Hindi cinema became the largest of these. Bollywood is its epicenter, which is what we'll be focusing on for the rest of the episode. I'm sure I don't have to tell you this, but I will anyway since it's like my job or whatever. But the term Bollywood came from combining Bombay and Hollywood, as Bombay was a center of Indian filmmaking and Hollywood was, well, Hollywood, and they liked to mimic Hollywood. In 1934, Bombay talkies launched by Hemansu Rai, spearheaded the growth of Indian cinema. Over the years, several genres emerged from Bollywood, some of which we'll cover a little bit more later on in detail. There was the historical epic, the curry western, the courtesan film, which highlights like photography and sensual dance, and the mythological movie. Of course, color films began to be made in India in the late 30s and 40s, as did early efforts at animation. Giant movie palaces were built as the audience makeup shifted to include more of the working class. In the silent era, this group accounted for only a small percentage of moviegoers, as literacy was only about 6% at this time. The World War II years saw a decrease in the number of films produced in India as a result of limited imports of film stock and government restrictions on the maximum allowed running time of a film. Still, Indian audiences remained faithful and each year saw an impressive rise in ticket sales. After World War II, India entered a new age of cinema. its second stride in the years following World War II. The 1930s and 40s were especially tough times in India, though that can honestly be said for most places in the world at this time. There was a Great Depression, a World War. More specific to India, there was the Indian Independence Movement, which was the movement wanting to end the British occupation of the country, and of course violence pertaining to people trying to make that happen. So, you know, people needed some escapism. Enter cinema. Now most of the things you'll associate with Bollywood is actually Indian cinema as a whole. Lavish costumes, fantastic dance sequences to go with amazing songs, and of course a happy ending. Bollywood technically refers to films made in Hindi. Bollywood is the center of that industry. It's like calling an American film a Hollywood blockbuster. It may not have been shot in Southern California. It may have not even been shot in the country, but it is still considered to be a Hollywood film because that's where the film epicenter is in the United States, and it's honestly just easier to put them all under one term. Bollywood then, and kind of now, has a similar studio system to what Hollywood had in the 1930s. Like Hollywood, Indian actors are employed with a studio and are then groomed to appear in pictures that most ideas ideally fit their personas. One thing that Bollywood films do have are some pretty strict story rules. The general rule of thumb with the musicals is that they must be at least six songs in the movie, with at least one Bollywood star, and like three dance sequences. Music is central to most, though not all, Bollywood movies. At the end of the day, though, it's the stars rather than the plots that are often the driving force behind the films. This practice began all the way back in 1936 when Ashok Kumar and Devika Rani emerged as the first major film duo and the Indian public developed a voracious appetite for news about the two. This massive interest of the Indian people with the lives of their movie stars continues to this day. Anyway, back to some history. 1947 saw some big changes, not only for Indian cinema, but for India as a whole. This was the year India became the Republic of India and Pakistan, the nuances of which I am massively under to go into with any level of skill. But it happened. Cinematically, in the theaters, the historical and mythological stories in films were widely escapist and had been quite prevalent up until this point. They were now being replaced by social reformist films, which were widely critical on Indian society and the implementation of such outdated social practices as the dowry system, polygamy and prostitution. The 1940s also saw an expansion of Bollywood's commercial market and its presence in the national consciousness. 1943 saw Indian cinema's first blockbuster film with the movie Kismet, which took in more than 10 million rupees at the box office against a budget of only 200,000 rupees. Kismet tackled contemporary issues, especially those arising from the Indian independence movement, and went on to become one of the longest-running films in Indian cinema, a title it held until the 1970s when the film Cholet was released. The late 40s to the early 60s is considered by historians to be the golden age of Indian cinema, and the 1950s saw the pretty much universally acknowledged master of Indian cinema, Satyajit Ray. Satyajit Ray, whom had originally studied as a painter, found cinema through Italian neorealism films, a genre that came out of World War II Italy. Ray's films focused more on the lives of the lower classes of India, whom up until this point were almost completely ignored as subjects in films. Ray's films were notable as they lacked the general razzle-dazzle of his other contemporaries' films. The thing he's most famous for is probably the Apu trilogy, the first film of which was The Song of the Road from 1955, which followed a young Bengali boy coming of age. The next two continued that same story. The film was a surprise hit and won the jury prize at the Cannes Film Festival, opening the door internationally for Indian cinema to the rest of the world. Mahup Khan's Mother India from 1957, a remake on his earlier film Arat from 1940, would be the first Indian film nominated for the Best Foreign Language Film at the Academy Awards. It lost the award by a single vote. Mother India defined conventional Hindi cinema for decades afterward. It spawned a genre known as decoy films, which are essentially an early version of gangster films, but leaning more towards like the Robin Hood area of things more than like a Capone one. Inspired by social and political changes, as well as cinematic movements in both the United States and Europe, the 1960s in India saw the birth of their own new wave, founded by directors like Ray, Meenal Sen, and Ritwick Ghatak. This movement had begun back in the 50s with the Parallel Cinema Movement, which was characterized by its serious content, realism, focus on socio-political issues, and the rejection of the whole song and dance routines, literally. Driven by that desire to offer a greater sense of realism and an understanding of the common man, the films during the 1960s in India differ greatly from the larger commercial productions, which were mostly the colorful escapism. This would eventually become part of the template for the masala film, a mash of genres including action comedy and melodrama, punctuated by, again, six song and dance numbers. The masala film would also become the model for the modern Bollywood film. (laughs) let <laughs> am By 1970, Hindi cinema was pretty basic and dominated by musical romantic films. The arrival of screenwriting duo Salim Khan and Javed Akhtar, known together as Salim Javed, saw a paradigm shift, which would revitalize the Bollywood industry as a whole. They began the genre of gritty, violent underworld crime movies with films such as Zanjeer from 1973 and Diwar from 1975. Salim Javed also remade Khan's Mother India and Dalip Kumar's Ganga Jamna from 1961 to reflect the socioeconomic and philosophical climate of 1970s India. They channeled the masses' discontent, disillusionment, and the explosion of the slums with anti-establishment themes and those involving urban poverty, corruption, and crime. By the mid-1970s, romantic movies bent to the gritty, violent crime films. The Masala film was pioneered early in the decade by filmmaker Nasir Hussain and, of course, the duo of Salim Javed. Their film, Yadun Ki Bharat from 1973, directed by Hussain and written by Salim Javed. This film has been identified as the first Masala film and the first quintessential modern Bollywood film. Salim Javed wrote more successful Masala films during the 1970s and 80s. Masala films also made Amitabh Khan, the biggest Bollywood star of the period. The hodgepodge that is the Masala film remains a model for the modern Bollywood industry. Though greater attention is now paid more to plot, character development, and dramatic tension, it is, in most cases, sheer star power that accounts for a film's success. While I've been calling this industry Bollywood this whole time for the sake of sanity, the name Bollywood wasn't technically coined until the 1970s, when the commercial rules of Bollywood were defined. Both genres, masala and the violent crime films, are best represented by the blockbuster Cholet from 1975, written by Salim Javed and starring Amitabh Bakhan. It combined the decoy films with spaghetti westerns, spawning the decoy western, which is also known as the curry western, which was a popular genre during the 1970s. By 1983, the Bombay film industry was generating an estimated annual revenue of 700 crore or $693 million in the United States. By 1986, India's annual film output had increased from 741 films produced annually to 833, making India the world's largest film producer, which it has remained to this day. The most internationally acclaimed Hindi film of the 80s was Mira Nair's Salam Bombay from 1988, which won the Camera d'Or at the 1988 Cannes Film Festival and was nominated at the Oscars for Best Foreign Film. Not a bad way to close out the decade. ऐ मेरे एक जरा इंतजार सुन We saw I Indie cinema experienced another period of stagnation during the late 1980s with a box office decline due to increasing violence, a decline in musical quality, and a rise in video piracy. One of the turning points came with such films as Kayamat Mat Se Kayamat Tak from 1988, which presented a blend of youthfulness, family entertainment, emotional intelligence, and really good songs, all of which lured audiences back to the screen. It also brought back the template for Bollywood-quality music, romance films, which went on to define 1990s Hindi cinema. Known since the 1990s as New Bollywood, contemporary Bollywood is linked to the economic liberalization in India which began during the early 1990s. Since then, Bollywood films have also begun shooting internationally more regularly, bringing new exotic locales to their audiences. The 90s was a busy time as it also marked the entrance of new performers into independent films, some of which were actually commercially successful despite the lack of star power. The most prevalent example of this was probably Satya from 1998. It was a critical and commercial success and led to the emergence of a genre known as Mumbai Noir, which were urban films reflecting the city's social problems. This also led to a resurgence of parallel cinema by the end of the decade, which remains popular to this day as well. The 2000s saw increased Bollywood recognition worldwide due to the growing Indian communities overseas. The growth of the Indian economy and a demand for quality entertainment in this era also led to the country's film industry reaching new heights in production values, cinematography and screenwriting, as well as technical advances in areas such as special effects and animation. Some of the largest production houses, among them Yashraj Films and Dharma Productions, are the producers of like the new flashy modern films, the big ones. Multiplexes have been booming in India, but the single screen theaters have been closing down more and more. So it's all about big, just big, 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 everything big. Today, Bollywood cinema remains a national obsession for the Indian people and is a $2 billion plus industry in the country. Films produced in India are made at roughly a tenth of the cost of a Hollywood movie of the same size, which is why that number is so much lower than the U.S., which is a roughly $11.5 billion industry, and the films also make 20 times more than their Bollywood counterparts. Bollywood remains the highest film producer in the world and has continued satiating the voracious appetites of its audiences. This is no surprise considering how efficiently its filmmakers are able to reflect back to the Indian people what they want to see. With its lavish sets, costumes, fantastical musical numbers and songs, it's no surprise that Bollywood remains as popular today as it was when the film industry was in its infancy. (laughs) काफिरतों चल दिया सफर चल दिया सफर मंजिलें कोई लेके अपना And that's going to do it for this week. If there's anything you'd like me to cover in the future, please reach out on social media where I also post photos for each episode. At Tinsel Factory Pod on Instagram, at Tinsel underscore factory on Twitter, on Facebook at the Tinsel Factory, or you can always email me at tinselfactorypod at gmail.com. I'm relying on word of mouth to get this podcast out there, so if you could please rate, review, and subscribe so that other people can find this podcast, that would be a huge help. In order to keep making the podcast, I've also set up a support page, the link of which you can find in the show notes. If you'd like to help out in any way, I'd very much appreciate it. I've also got merch. Check it out at the link in the show notes. Next week, we're covering the history of Chinese cinema. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, that's a wrap.